0: I love Talon's story um, for a lot of reasons. I love it because I've got to see his life from a distance early on. There's Jake Robin a couple times from youth group. And, you know, I, I, I don't know. Like, Talon's story is a testimony to don't stop. Like, don't stop. Like, you know, all those years, you know, since Jake was a junior in high school. What's that been, Jake? A decade? You're old, man. You're old. Welcome to the club. All those years of praying and inviting and trying to have conversations. And even in those last three to four years, still praying and holding on to who God is and what he can do. And so that's what we do as a church. We're, We're called to hold on to the faith. And so that's what I believe for our church. It's so important to remember there are things right now in this season, this is quitting season. Like November, this is quitting season right here. Because summer's gone, the fall, oh man, we all love the fall, right? Pumpkins and pumpkin spice lattes and all the joy that the fall brings. Going to the pumpkin patch, doing all that great stuff. We love it all. But then all of a sudden it starts to get cold and we're like, I hate this. I hate it. And The fall's not fun anymore. And all of a sudden, you can't be outside. It's not, you know. I mean, I felt that this week. You know, I could go on a walk been walking, I've been walking my kids to school every day, picking them up every day. It's too cold. I can't do that right now. Like, I just, I, it's way too cold. I'm not going to do it. And all of a sudden, so you're stuck inside all day, and you're getting no sunlight. This is when you're just like, oh, man. Like, you feel the life draining out of you at moments once the winter starts to set on. Some of you are like, no, I love it. I can't wait to ice skating all that. That's fine. You're different, all right? God make you different. That's good. We're all unique, okay? But that's not me. And so this is kind of one of those moments when the seasons start to get a little bit darker and there's less sun. You start to feel that spiritually also. You start to feel like this is quitting season. All those things I've been praying for and believing God for, I'm done. They're not gonna happen. They're not gonna come to pass. The miracles, the things I desired to see God move and do in my life, he has not done them yet. And this is where the enemy wants you to quit and walk away. What am I doing? You hold on to faith, hope, and love. 1 Corinthians. Now, I couldn't remember. You guys remember, did I finish chapter 12 last week? No. All right, I didn't think so. I was pretty sure. So as I was writing this message, I was like, I'm going to put in a little bit of chapter 12. I didn't finish here. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27. If you're new with us, we've been going through the book of 1 Corinthians all this year. And uh, I'll tell you what, like there's so much, like what Paul said to the church thousands of years ago, we have to understand as the church today, it still matters and it is still truth. And we're still called to live and enact this truth today in the church. But I I would tell you, when you look at the church he describes in 1 Corinthians the modern church, the church in the West, it looks a lot different. Somewhere along the way, we veered off course. And so for revival, part of revival is going back to the old ways. Going back to his ways. and So that's what we've been doing as a church. We've been looking at 1 Corinthians and we're saying, for us for us to see revival, to see a movement of God, that means returning to his ways rather than trusting our own ways. So there's a lot of new ways and new methods and new ideas that people have come up with and said, oh, this will grow a church and this will, you know, expand the kingdom and this will make church more fun or more comfortable or more, you know, fill in the blank because we're a consumeristic society, right? And so that's what we've done with the church. But somewhere along the way, we went so far off the path that we don't even look like the church in Corinth. Or with the church that Paul is describing here in 1 Corinthians. So here we go. Let's get back to the old ways. Verse 27. We're going to finish chapter 12 here. All of you together, all of you, all of us in here today, you are Christ's body. Each of you is a part of it. Here are some of the parts God has appointed in the church. First are apostles. Second are prophets. Third are teachers. Then those who do miracles. Those who have the gift of healing, those who can help others, those who have the gift of leadership, those who speak in unknown languages. Are we all apostles? Are we all prophets? Are we all teachers? Do we all have the power to do miracles? Do we all have the gift of healing? Do we all have the ability to speak in unknown languages? Do we all have the ability to interpret unknown languages? Of course not. So you should earnestly desire the most helpful gifts. But now let me show you a way of life that is best of all. So he's just laying out some of the gifts of the body. Apostles, that, that word simply just means those who are sent. Just so we're clear, those who are sent. Okay? And prophets, sometimes we hear that and we're like, no, we don't have prophets anymore. No, no, no. We still have these people who are called and sent and who are prophetically gifted. They still are in the church today, it's just we've kind of stepped back and said, no, like, that stuff, that that doesn't happen anymore. No, no, no. Paul, Paul tells us later on. He says, when the perfect comes, then we'll no longer have any need for these other gifts. Okay? When the perfect comes, we'll no longer have the need for these gifts. The perfect hasn't come yet. Who's the perfect? He's coming back, right? He hasn't come back Yet. He's coming back. So in the meantime, what Paul is saying here is all these gifts in the church should still be active. Wow. There's so of you in here today. You, I don't, you, you maybe have never heard this before. And that's me. In, in my church that I grew up in, it was, oh no, we don't have prophets anymore. We don't have you know apostles or it's like apostles is those who are sent. <laughs> We have people who have been sent, who have been called. They were sent and called. Now we don't have apostles that are adding to scripture. Scripture is perfect as we have. It, just so you know. So if you ever hear somebody say, Hey, I'm an apostle and I've got some scripture I want to add in, be like, all right, that's a cult, I'm out of here. Okay? See ya. <laughs> okay? Yeah. I hit on on this a little bit last week, but those who do miracles, the gift of healing, that stuff is still happening. It's happening in the church here in the West. It's beginning to break out. We're starting to hear more and more about this, but across the globe, these gifts have been active for a while, and we're going to start to see them break out more and more again. Those who can help others. I mean, that's anyone, right? We should all like. We, everybody's got that gift. We should all be. Some are a little more inclined to help others. The gift of leadership or administration, sometimes that one's called. This one's interesting because in the church in the West, somewhere along the way, what have we done? We have written a million books on church leadership, and we've said this is what matters. And so that's part of the direction the church has veered off on because we started listening to the administrators rather than those who were called to lead the church. And we started placing it in the hands of those who were called to administrate rather than lead. Paul wants that distinction to be made. All right, now we're ready for Chapter 13. If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy, gone, or a clanging cymbal. This is important, because the church at Corinth, uh, they, they had taken the gift of uh, speaking in tongues or praying in the Spirit, and they had taken it, and they had abused it. Paul was not against it. We'll, we'll find that out as we keep reading here through this. But they had taken it and said, oh, this makes us more spiritual or above others. Okay? And so what he's saying here, he wants us to, he wants the church to realize if I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, that's what he's talking about, this praying in tongues, praying in the spirit that they were doing. But didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging symbol. That was happening in the church at Corinth. They were expressing themselves through praying in the spirit. Praying in tongues, but without love, Paul is telling them, you are only a noisy gong or a clanging symbol." Which at that time, for those people in that area, there's many different gods and goddesses that they were worshiping. And so part of what they would do to worship was they would have these, I, mean, I can't describe it other than satanic rituals that they were doing. Uh, that involved sacrifices that were, they were dark. I know we got kids in the room, so I'm not going to go too dark there. But during these satanic rituals, worshiping these other gods and goddesses, part of what they would do to cover up the, the gruesomeness of some of these rituals is they would bang these gongs or cymbals to cover up the noise of what was going on, the ugliness of what was happening. And so Paul's saying here. Without love. Even if you could speak all the languages angels, language, you're only a noisy gone or reclaiming symbol in the streets. If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. If I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Sometimes I think we have to redefine love in the church because we've only heard the definition from the world and the world's definition of love. It's confused and it's darkened in its understanding compared to what God's word says about love. John 14. Let's go look there real quick. John 14. And we'll start out there in verse 15. If you love me, obey, or keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him. and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now, and later he will be in you. No, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you soon. The world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Since I live, you also live. When I'm raised to life again, you will know that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. And because they love me, my Father will love them, and I will love them and reveal myself to each of them. Now flip over to First John. First John three. First John three sixteen. We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also have to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let's not just say it. It's really easy to say. It's really easy as Christians for all of us to say, oh, I I love them. I love that person. I love my enemies. It's so easy to say it. Anybody can say it. Let us show the truth by our actions. Our actions will show that we belong to the truth. So we will be confident when we stand before God. Even if we feel guilty, God is greater than our feelings and he knows everything. He knows everything. Dear friends, if we don't feel guilty, we can come to God with bold confidence and we will receive from him whatever we ask because we obey him and do the things that please him. We don't obey out of guilt. We don't keep his commandments because we have to. We keep his commandments. We walk in obedience and in step with him because he loved us. That's it. We don't do it because we have to. We get to. And because his way is better than our way. That's it. You can run around this earth and you can live however you want. and You can do whatever you want. And you can say, I love everyone. I, you know I, I'm such a loving person and I love God. But if your actions don't line up, they don't line up. You're not walking in step. You're not walking in the truth of his word. And you're stepping outside of that hedge of protection that comes along with obedience to the good father. This is his commandment. Verse 23. We must believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. Those who obey, it always comes back to this. Those who obey God's commandments remain in fellowship with him and he with them. And we know he lives in us because the spirit he gave us lives in us. So it starts with learning his word. Because if you love someone, you will learn their preferences. And that's what God's word is. It's his preferences for the way he has designed this world and designed humanity and designed relationship to him. Humanity has said, no, no, no. We get to decide how to worship God. And we get to decide when to worship him and what it looks like and what obedience is in our definition. What we like and what we don't like out of scripture. That's what humanity has said. That's what the church has made our relationship with him into. But he says, no, no, no. If you love me, obey my commandments. Not God, if you love us, obey my preferences. That's not how it works. So we start to learn his word when we step into relationship with him. His word is how he has chosen to speak to us. And his Holy Spirit living within us is how he still speaks actively today. He can still speak today. But will we step in the moments of silence to sit and listen to? There's obvious things sometimes when it comes to God's word that we know. Oh, that's disobedience. Disobedience. Oh, that that's that stepping outside of what God's word says. There's the obvious, and then there's the not so obvious parts of disobedience. Luke 14, verse 15. Hearing this, a man sitting at the table, Jesus exclaimed, What a blessing it will be to attend a banquet in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied with this story: A man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servant to tell the guests. Come, the banquet is ready. But they all began making excuses. One said, I've just bought a field and must inspect it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five pairs of oxen and I want to try them out. Please excuse me. Another said, I just got married so I can't come. Are any of those things sin? Like Any of those examples that he just listed out there, like from what you know, you're basic like, okay, Ten Commandments. Is it a commandment to not buy an oxen? No, no, that's not in there. Is it a commandment to not get married? No, no, that, I don't think that's in there. Is it a commandment to not own property, to not have a field? No, none of those were sin right there. We can choose good things over God, and that is disobedience to His voice. There's a lot of good things we can choose to chase after in this world, and they're not sin. But you have to sit in the presence of his Holy Spirit and understand that you are a temple of his presence. And you have to sit and ask him, am I choosing good things over the things you're calling for me? Because that has become disobedience in our lives. We're all guilty of that at one time or another. And we have to be aware, if he is calling us to something... His word, his voice, comes before our preferences, before the good things of this world that we want to chase after. Because then they become idols. Then they take the place of him, and we worship the creation rather than the creator. The servant returned and told his master what they had said. His master was furious. And said, go quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. After the servant had done this, he reported, there is still room for more. So his master said, go out into the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge anyone you find to come so that the house will be full. For none of those I first invited will get even the smallest taste of my banquet. If you continue to choose to chase after the good things of this world, you're going to miss out on the kingdom if you continue to chase after what this world has to offer because you can see it, you can taste it, you can smell it, everything of the five senses, we, we know it's real and so we chase after it and we lose sight of the fact that the unseen realm is more real and longer lasting than anything in this world. Everything in this world turns to ash. It will not last. It's firewood. That's what we're chasing after in this world. But the unseen realm is eternal. And that's what he's warning us, us of here. Stop chasing good things over my voice. All right, now let's finish chapter 13. Chapter 13, verse 4. First Corinthians again. Love us patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. And it keeps no record of being wrong. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. Love never loses faith, is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Prophecy and speaking in unknown languages. And special knowledge. They will become useless. They will. They're not useless right now. But they will become useless. But love will last forever. Now our knowledge is partial and incomplete. And even the gift of prophecy reveals only part of the whole picture. But when the time of perfection comes. When he comes back. These partial things will become useless. They're gifts for us now, but not forever. They're gifts for the church right now, but they're not forever. When I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child, but when I grew up, I put away childish things. Now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror, but then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete. But then I will know everything completely just as God now knows me completely. Three things will last forever. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Worship, can you guys to come up as we get ready to close out here? There's one last passage that stood out to me this week. As we're looking at love and what that means for us. Matthew 5, verse 43. You have heard the law that says love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. If you're not praying for your enemies, you are not acting as a true child, as a true son, as a true daughter of the King. That's what that's saying right there. It's not just saying it, because that's what we say with love. Anybody can just say, "I love that person," "I love my enemies," and you pray for them, for those who meant you heart. Can you pray blessings for those people? For those who have wronged you? For those who lie to you? For those who abuse you? For those who took advantage of you? Can you pray blessings for them? What does it mean to pray blessings for somebody that's hurt you? It means to pray for your enemies... The same things you desire in your own heart, for your own life, for your own family. That's love. It's really easy to just say, Oh yeah, I forgive them. I love them. I'm over it. Can you sit and can you pray for them the things you desire in your own life? even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Peter asked Jesus, how many times should I forgive Jesus replied back seven times, seven. Never stop. And you're not going to feel like it. But let me tell you something. Feelings are deceitful. The word of God, this is truth. This is what it says. And so we choose to go against our feelings and we choose to trust and obey God's word. And we choose to believe that his way is better than our way because he's the creator and we're the creation. And when we begin to step in alignment with his word, it's gonna look crazy and ridiculous to the outside world. But I'm telling you, there is freedom there because there is sin and holding on to that bitterness and anger. There it is. Forgiveness isn't for them, it's for you. Forgiveness isn't for that person, it's for you. You might just be waiting for them to apologize. You might be waiting for them to, you know, get theirs, to get what's coming. I know I've been there. I would love to see that. And then God convicted me on that. And he said, you're just saying all the right things. You haven't actually done it. And he started to change my heart. When I started to choose to do something I didn't want to do, choose to do something I was uncomfortable with, choose to do something I didn't feel like doing, and began to pray blessings on those who wronged me. All of a sudden, my heart started to change. And, and it took a little bit, but before long, I actually began to mean what I was praying. And I began to reach out to these people again and to have conversation and relationship again with people that I thought I was done with. And I had washed my hands of, and I said, I never want to see them or be near them again. And now I can walk into the same room as them, and I can hug them. That's healing. Forgiveness isn't for them. It is for you. If you hold on to it, it will be the thing that kills you and keeps you from the kingdom. Don't hold on to it anymore. Real love takes action. And real love trusts in what God's word says and we will obey his commands and trust that his ways are better than our own. Yeah, thank you for this moment. And just during this last song of worship as we are getting ready uh, to celebrate the talent and his baptism, I pray if there's any unforgiveness or hurt or bitterness or anger in our hearts, uh, that today we would just release that to you. That if we need prayer, if we have been struggling with uh, anger or bitterness, we wouldn't be afraid to ask someone for prayer today. And I pray for healing. That there could be healing when we release and let this go. In the name of Jesus, I pray for that healing today. In your name we pray. Amen.